Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Laura Gray. She's the founder, executive director of Five Pride, a self-esteem empowerment program for youth, which she created in 2015. She's also a published author. Her story is in the recently released Amazon bestseller, Mayhem to Miracles. She's a living kidney donor and a fervent advocate for sexual assault victims. What a mission you have, Laura. Thank you so much for being in Back to Basics. Thank you so much, Leticia, for inviting me. Well, I'm very excited to have you on because there's so much I know that so much wisdom that you can share. We're also, you know, fellow contributors to Biscatalyst, and that's how we, we've connected. First time we're speaking. So that's a, an excellent opportunity to, you know, not only share your journey, but also get to know you better. And uh, I'm a big fan already. Oh, thank you so much. And likewise, and you know, uh, when two writers, like I've spent time reading your work, you've spent time reading my work. So for us to actually have this dialogue and conversation is just so wonderful. It's like our words are coming to life. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. Beautiful. Yes. No, thank you for that. And that's, yeah, I, I, I have said this before. And of course, we've had uh, Dennis Pitoko, which is the founder of uh, Biscatalyst. But I encourage my audience to Go check out, uh, you know, the web page and the, and it will be on my, on the show notes, but there's so much writing, so much wisdom from people. I always say oh. people think I don't write a blog. I don't do this because I'm not a good writer. And I say everybody's a good writer. If you have yes. something to say, just sit down and write it down. And then you bit by bit, you, you, you get your own style going, right? You get your style, you get in a rhythm. And as I had shared with Dennis, Shortly after I, you know, started writing for Biz Catalyst, I said, this is writer's nirvana. Yes. I, I feel so accepted. I feel refreshed each time I submit a piece or read somebody else's work. I'm enlightened. I'm expanded. So and, and here I am talking with you. I mean, this is wonderful. Absolutely. No, it's, it's definitely, they, they have a fantastic model. So, but uh, before we get talking about all amazing things we're going to talk, I always start with, you know, I want to know about my guests' beginnings, who Laura was as a childhood. And I know, you know, there's, for what I've read, some experiences in your youth that also, obviously, like with everybody else, defined ourselves. So where are you from? Where were you born? Tell me a little bit about your family and growing up in there. Sure. Okay. So, yep. I live in Ohio now. I haven't always lived in Ohio, but I was predominantly born and raised in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, uh, near Cleveland. And I have seven brothers and sisters. Oh, wow. I'm young. Yep. <laughs> sometimes I just say that so casually. Sometimes you're like, wow, that's a big family. That's I'm like, a big family. I don't know any different. Yes. You know, I, I was the youngest of eight. And I am the youngest of eight. And so I grew up uh, in Northeast Ohio, uh, went to college uh, not too far from here. 
and, uh, you know, had a, a, a wonderful, you know, for the most part, childhood, two very involved parents. We were all involved in athletics and the our faith and the Catholic Church was very important to us. So, you know, that being said, you alluded somewhat to our experiences in childhood, which define us or, or can define us, I should say. That doesn't mean that's all we are. But so as a child, between the ages of three and six, and I do write about this in, I've written about it often, but it's the story that's uh, partial in Miracle, uh, Mayhem to Miracles. But between the ages of three and six, I was repeatedly sexually abused and raped uh, by actually, it was a Catholic priest. Um, And it ended up stopping when I was eventually in the hospital. So, uh, Yeah, that, that, you know, you can like stop right there and stop your life and let that become who you are. Or for me, it's really become ultimately a stepping stone. Now, it took me a long time to say that and to get there. So the abuse stopped when I was six. It didn't, I didn't tell anybody till I was 32. Oh, my God. Now, that's yeah. exactly my daughter's age. So it hits me, you know, like you see like uh, these little girls. I mean, I, I yes. can just imagine you at that age where you really trust the world and trust everybody around you. And it's such a young age to, I mean, any age to deal with something like that is pretty bad. Correct. But at, at that yeah. age, I can, I can only imagine. I'm sorry you had to yeah. go through that. Yeah. 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 And like, so, yeah, I can relate to that because, you know, even, you know, now I see a little girl specifically and, I, and it, it just pains me to think that that was, I was that age. I was that size when, you know, all this trauma was happening. And, um, you know, he repeatedly told me over and over, you know, don't tell anyone, no one will believe you and I'll kill you and your mother. Mm. So, you know, you're a little kid and you're getting those kind of messages over and over and over. At the same time, you are being hurt, Mm. you know, hurt. Mm -hmm. You're going to you're going to shut up and you're going to you're going to believe, you know, which ultimately I referred to him as the monster Uh, because he was rightfully so, of course, of course. And, And it was such a strange dynamic because, you know, we were raised with a strong Catholic faith and, you know, he was uh, very close to my parents. Mm. So, you know, in some sense, that's what enables these situations to take place. You know, my, my father worked two jobs because there was you know so many mouths to feed. Uh, my mother had multiple sclerosis. And so there was eight kids under the age of 11 when I was born. That's a lot. That's a lot. And oh, my God. So when you have somebody that you trust and who is deemed to be next to God offering, you know, to take me off your hands to the store to et cetera, whatever, you know, you're going to probably be kind of grateful. You Absolutely. Know? So, you know, and, and I, I work through all of that, the potential anger, the blame, and that's not easy, but that's why... You know, when people say, oh, you, you overcame a lot. I'm like, I didn't overcome anything. I, I worked through it. Mm. So when I hear those words, you know, overcome, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, heck no. <laughs> oh, heck no. I walked through that desert. I walked through those mountains. I walked through, 
you know, the cold and the heat and everything, the fire and everything that I was feeling, I walked through it. I felt it all to get to the other side, which is who I am this moment today talking to you. So, yeah. And what's something you said before that really that you didn't let it define you, which, you know, takes a new meaning after hearing you say that. And, and through all that, of course, uh, the hardship you have to endure. As a little girl, what were you passionate about? Like when you had to dream about what you wanted to be when you were an adult or what you wanted to study, did any of your passions manifested like at the young age or it was later in life that you kind of connected to that? Well, that's a combination for me because so when the trauma started at the age of three, going till I was after I was after my sixth birthday, that actually infiltrates the imagination because any energy that I had in my imagination was actually being used to disassociate from the trauma. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if that makes sense, yeah, it does. Um, but one, one stands out in particular. I, I, and I always get emotional talking about it. I wanted to be a ballerina. I thought, that they were the prettiest girls and I loved the pink and the 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 tool and the their their legs and their the shoes and the whole thing and I I wanted to be a ballerina so because so that's twofold so I thought because I twirled around so much is why he picked me mm -hmm. you know I started to blame myself that oh I shouldn't have been spinning maybe that's why he 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 picked me And then the other factor was that because we had such a large family, there was no way that they were going to have the money to, oh, let's just have her go to ballet lessons. <laughs> so that being said, at the age of 33, I took beginner's ballet. Awesome. I was in a class. I was in a class with uh, seven-year-olds <laughs> and I too wore the white tights and the shoes and the black leotard Now, I only did the one session because, mm -hmm. you know, their aspirations yeah. were way different from mine. <laughs> But in my heart, as I stood next to them at the bar, I was seven. That is I was, fantastic. I, I was, yeah, and I, I was glad that I did that. You needed to do it. I, I think that some people re don't realize that some of these dreams we have or things we wanted to do, even if just to to go through the motions. I started taking piano at 30. <laughs> wow. And, and I did it for six years and I didn't dream about being a piano player, but it's something I had in my bucket list. And I, yes. I, I kind of encountered something similar to you when we went to the first recital and, and I completely messed it up. And in, in the midst of a lot of five and six years old who did their part perfectly, <laughs> you know, I had the nerves. I had the, the, I was nervous about it, which the little yes. kids, even if they get nervous differently, right? So yes. an adult, I'm sure it took a lot of guts for your, for you to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to dress up, and I'm not just going to, you know, do it, you yeah. know, to get it over with. You really dress the part, literally. I did, <laughs> and I, I am glad I did it. I, I kind of don't know how I did it now that I'm looking back, because I know I look ginormous. <laughs> and I remember the gentleman who taught the class. I know he thought it was odd, but I somewhat explained The situation to him and and you know he was accepting but i know it was and that and the other parents of the other students were like 
Who is that? Uh, but that's great. You know, it reminded me of the movie Elf. Yeah. That's what I looked like in that class. I was like this giant ballerina. But anyways, I did it and I am grateful that I did and it. And I'm sure you were a great inspiration for the little girls that saw you. I think the example, no matter what they want to do yeah. when they're later in life, they had that example of an older, you know, grown up yeah. woman dressing up and going for what she wanted to do. True. So, Very true. So Thank I, you for that. I yes. think that's a great example. So, so okay. So tell me then a little bit about, you know, what you, your older years, like when you were in your, you know, 20s and, you know, your career choices or how did you, then your life started to shape up into adulthood? Yeah, my life. You know what? I joke about my resume and the fact that if If I was on a baseball team, I would be a utility player because I played every position, um, except I can't play first because I'm too short. So I say that because, you know, when I had finished college, I like many people, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do because what I thought I wanted to do, I changed my mind. So I ended up uh, in Cleveland at the United Way in their marketing and uh, got some valuable experience, met some wonderful people. And then, um, as I like to say, I literally got tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, how would you like to do some fundraising? And I was like, oh, okay, I don't know what that is, but okay. <laughs> you know, so I went into the fundraising area and gained experience there. And, you know, I was successful. And because of that, I got asked to apply at United Way of America, which back then United Way of America was it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was the fundraising daddy of the world. Mm -hmm. So I went through their management training program. I went to Alexandria and then I ended up uh, working at the United Way of San Diego, met some wonderful people there who I'm still connected to, uh, gained some more experience. And while I was out there, my mother's health, you know, wasn't that good. So I, it was hard for me because she's the youngest of 14 children. Mm -hmm. So, and, and so that we were babies, like, and her mother died when she was very young. So our relationship was very close and it was hard for me to be so far away. So what I did was taking a position at the United Way in Rochester in, in New York, so I could be closer So I was there uh, for a little while, then ended up back in Cleveland. While I came back, I ended up getting tapped on the shoulder again. And this time it was General Electric, mm -hmm. who I was working uh, with on their United Way campaign. And I remember when that call came in, and the guy's name was Jay. And Jay said, well, we don't want you uh, working on our campaign anymore. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, I'm in trouble. I made somebody angry. I did the wrong thing. And I was like, oh. Okay. And he goes, no, we want you to work for us. Like, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That is awesome. So as I continue to learn to be open and say, why not? Why not? You know, just kind of like taking the ballet and why not? You know, what can I learn from this? And even if I don't have an answer to that, the answer comes when you're open to it. So I went and worked uh, for General Electric for a while. I was in sales. Then they tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you know, we like what you're doing. We want you to recruit more of you. So I ended up in sales and recruiting, traveling the country, doing sales training, which was, you know, GE was a big deal. Mm -hmm, I mean, it course. is a big deal, but back then it was like a big deal. So I knew I had a lot of responsibility. I was on a fast paced trajectory for a successful career. 
Well, I also had a two-year-old son. So the last day I traveled was on Mother's Day, and I was heading to Kansas City. It was a Sunday, obviously. And my son at the time uh, was holding a little balloon that said, Happy Mother's Day. And I looked at him and, uh, you know, my husband, who's now my ex, but my husband and I looked at each other and I said, I, I can't do this anymore. And that was at a time when I didn't, there wasn't the flexibility. And I'm going to say this and sound like super old, but there wasn't an internet. Wow. There wasn't, you know, this type of thing that, wow, what a blessing. Yeah. So it was me getting on planes all the time. And so I had made a decision. We had made a decision that I would uh, stay home. There's really no good words for that, as I've discovered, you know, because, you know, people are like, oh, you you were a full-time mom. And I'm like, well, everybody's a full-time mom. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even even somebody who gets in their car and, and goes to work at a bank and comes home is a full-time mom. So it, it, there's really no good way to say it, but... I, my joke then was that I had to stay home long enough to have two more kids. So I have three, I have three sons mm -hmm. and uh, stayed home for 14 years, ended up getting a divorce. And uh, after being home for 14 years, getting a divorce, I didn't have a job. I had basically no credit anymore. So it was such a dichotomy to go from here's this young woman in her mid 20s traveling the country for General Electric, getting stock options. And now I don't have a job. I need a place to live and I have no credit. So that being said, my parents who were in their 80s uh, said, at the time said, we were very concerned. We will co-sign a mortgage on our pension. Hmm. Right. So I'm thinking, oh, oh, good. Oh, this will all work out until I started calling banks. And they're like, well, that's creative, but <laughs> no, you know, no, we don't give mortgages based on a pension. And I'm like, okay, okay. And then one local bank, I remember when the woman called, called me back, her name was Angela. And I, I refer to her as my angel. She called me, she called me back and she said, this is Angela, we can make something work. And I mean, that even it makes me so emotional to think about that day. You know, I was, I didn't have a job. I had three sons, I had three dogs and I needed a place to live and I needed a job. So they, I moved into that house without a job on my parents' pension and uh, found a job at a uh, local accounting firm that created a position for me for business development. And I traveled throughout the state of Ohio, uh, trying to get new clients, et cetera, et cetera. Then I moved into this other firm that I'm at now about five years ago, Maloney and Novotny. And it, they're just outstanding people. It's a similar role in business development. And I am like, I wake up every day. I am grateful that I have a job. I'm grateful I have a home. I'm grateful I'm healthy. And I'm grateful to my parents that were, you know, willing to support me and believe in me. Wow. That, that, all that just represents, I think, the, you know, the essence of, of human journey, because you, you have just shared with us terrible lows and great highs and how nothing is permanent and uh, that you have to adapt and, and how how you really made it happen. And and, and what I love about the, your story, and, and you've said this, and I know in the Biscatalyst community, we're always, you know, make sure to say how 
blessed we are, how grateful we are. And, and the fact that you, the people that have been instrumental in your life that have helped you, you say their name, you know, even if for us that are listening, the story is irrelevant, but the fact that you're acknowledging them by name, I think is incredibly powerful because, you know, there's so many angels around our, you know, and monsters, unfortunately, that Correct. don't deserve to be named, but that the angels deserve to be named. And I, I'm, I'm happy, you know, that, that there was an angel in your life, that there were all those angels that enable, you know, the little miracles to happen so that yes. you came back and landed on your feet. And the, the other thing I love about your story is for a lot of people out there to remember is when you're good at what you do, you, they're going to tap you uh -huh. in the back. And that is a lot of people forget that. They think the job they have is the only job in the world they're going to get. And if they leave it, they're never going to recover. And, you know, I think stories like you show that when you're good, you don't even go looking for new jobs or like you just show your best, do your best, and then everything falls right. into place. I totally agree with that. Actually, we used to say that when I was at GE, that jobs go away, but good people don't. Mm -hmm, exactly. and, and that, you know, and I, I refer to it as a tap on the shoulder because in some ways it literally was a tap on the shoulder. You know, back at, when I started out of college, they literally came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder. But, you know, now we have those angels or we have those unexpected opportunities or, you know, so it's kind of like, yeah, why not? Why not? And, you know, like you said, nothing's permanent. And so 2013, my mother also passed away like a month after I moved into my home unexpectedly. So this is this this was complete. Like, so I was starting my job. I finally got a job and I put hot rollers in my hair because I thought that's what you did. And, you know, I'm getting out the pantyhose and the whole thing. And I'm getting ready to go to work. And my brother calls. And my first day on the job after 14 years of being home, wow. my brother my brother called. And he said, Mom's been taken to the emergency. We need to get there. So I'm ripping the rollers out. I call my new place of employment. I said, I'm sorry. I'm not going to be there. My mom just got taken to the ER. Show up to the hospital. My mother at this point was 85. She pulls over her oxygen mask and calls me over. And she says, does work know that you're not coming in? Wow. And I said, I said, yes, mom, everything's fine. And she passed away, you know, within the day. But, you know, to me, that that is so much that generation that she was always worried about me and wanted to make sure that I now she knew I, you know, had a job. She knew I had a home and that I was going to be OK. So it was hard. And 2013 was such a difficult year for me. I look back on that year with such empowerment and, and that, that growth. I mean, I expanded so much as an individual where, you know, heck, you would have thought what I had gone through as a young child, well, that would have been enough. But <laughs> no, I, I, in many ways, you know, I felt like the hockey goalie in the net going, okay, what do you got? What? Go ahead, take well, a shot. Yeah. And, and it only makes you stronger. It's true. And, and, and I'm just, I feel like that much better of a person. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unfortunately, but, uh, you know, some of the, 
most recognized uh, spiritual teachers of our era, they say only through suffering, you know, through growth is possible because it's almost, it's almost like people when they say, I, I'm not a runner, and then they decide to, to become an Ironman and you say, there's no way. There's no way. This person has never run. This person right. has never, but then they commit to it and they make it. And yeah. they, that's who they become. And I think suffering, unfortunately, has this, that impact on us. It's like we think we cannot take situations in life. And then, unfortunately, some of them validate and you have to, you know, to to really paddle through. Some people yeah. don't paddle through well, but those that are committed to, you know, going through the motion and accepting, unfortunately, what's coming your way, you end up like experiencing what you just shared. Like, I feel so much stronger. I feel so much. Oh, yeah. Know, and growth. I, you know, and I, there's a saying I, I like to use when I talk to the kids in iPride that no one learns from an easy test. It's true. You know, it's true. It's, it's, it's really, really have to yeah. study and you really got to think about that question. And then you answer it because that's your really your brain kicking in your whole being working on your behalf and not staying there. So you talk about some people, you know, they, they paddle through their suffering and they have a little hard time with it. Well, this is the other lesson that I've learned and I try to teach uh, the children is that some people like that. Some mm -hmm. people like being stuck there for whatever reason. But you know what? We need to move behind that and go, to go towards the lighter, brighter energy, which we're meant for. Yeah, no, that's powerful. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't know if they like being there or they probably didn't even realize they're stuck. To me, it's almost like it's they don't have the awareness. Both. Yeah, yeah. It's because true. you it's can get people that, people that are in that role, they get attention for being yeah. in that role. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much they like being stuck, but they like the attention. So they become addicted to that life that they don't like. Wow, that, really, that's powerful right it's there. It's a weird dynamic, yes, yes. right? It's a yes. weird because I could have stayed. I could, you know, that's what I talked about when you said about that it defined me. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't like to use that word in my case because I, I wouldn't like to look under Google or Wikipedia and see Laura Gray, childhood sexual abuse victim. I'm like, mm -hmm. well, wait a minute, this girl's way more than that. So yeah, no, that's very, very powerful, and I, I totally agree with you on the on your attention comment. I think that's true. That some people like to the victim, you know, side of things just because they have all this attention coming to them. Correct. And yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because once you Correct. have that, sometimes when you're doing good and, you know, I'm, I'm someone I like to call myself an optimist and, and, and I try to have a smile, but there's tons of things, you know, I've shared on the podcast, like my country, Venezuela has been in the worst turmoil for 20 years. Like there's a lot of things that are heavyweight but, you know, I don't like transferring those things right. to other people. Right. And But sometimes it's the opposite because sometimes you do need a little bit of attention, like saying, oh, how are you doing? You know, yeah. people forget yeah. because we yeah. are so worried about the ones that are stuck in that in that role. Yeah. That you forget about the ones that maybe are not showing it or are, are different in, in how they express themselves. And then you totally don't even think about those people that maybe need a little bit of attention. Yeah. Well, you start to differentiate between who's authentic mm -hmm. and, and who's playing that same role. And when you talk about like, you know, when you talk about like, say, the problems and the issues in Venezuela for the 20 years, I mean, you could unpack that every day if you wanted to. Oh. But, but, but why put that out there, number one? 
And then all you would be doing is taking stuff out of your suitcase and putting it into mine. And I'd be like, oh, no, oh. Venezuela. And now I have Venezuela in my backpack. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's not who you are. And that's not how we spread joy in the world. Absolutely. I love that. And so one of the reasons, one of the ways you chose to spread joy in the world and also to make an impact and in, in difference is in 2015, you founded iPride. I did. I did. I obviously did. want to know everything about it because oh I find gosh. your work well, so incredibly amazing. Here I am. <laughs> yes. iPride. So yes. iPride, yes, I created it in 2015. I was at a, you know, strong place, a healthy place in my life. And I felt empowered and wanted to give back to youth because I pride has worked with as young as four and uh, through college age. And the primary goal is self-esteem and empowerment. And we uh, there's two workshops. Um, there's I pride right, which is W-R-I-T-E. And there's I pride fit. Um, I pride right is a creative expression, judgment-free environment. You know what it reminds me of, Leticia? Uh, Biz Catalyst. Okay. Just that free flow, write, write, accept, learn, expand. And in this case, we start off each session, regardless of it's right or fit, with I teach them some basic mindfulness. I teach them some breathing techniques. We do uh, some basic affirmations. So they get comfortable with that, you know, some coping skills. And then for I Pride Write, they each choose a word. They come up one at a time, choose a word out of my bowl that's filled with age-appropriate words. And if they don't know what the word means or they don't like it, then I tell them, well, you get to pick another one because everybody deserves a second chance. So that's one lesson. The second part of that lesson is once they pick two, they have to make a decision. So they have, that's decision-making skills. And then, oh, by the way, this is what you picked. You need to learn to live with your choice. Because too many of us are like, oh, I give up. Oh, life is hard. Oh, oh. but that was your choice. So I think, at, you know, to teach them, that's kind of a life skill. To learn mm -hmm. to live with, make the decision and learn to live with that decision. Because it's not forever. You and I were just saying, it's not mm -hmm. permanent. So then they take the time and they write, draw, color, create, uh, whatever. You know, I provide the paper. I show up with the crayons. I play some music in the background. And the kids just embrace this, okay? And then after that, if they choose, because you serve no purpose to say to a child, okay, everyone line up and, and come up and present. Some kids aren't ready for that. They're just not comfortable. And, and I really, the intent of it is to them to feel and let it flow and put it down on paper, whatever it is that's going through their mind. So the kids that choose to, they come up one at a time. So now they're learning presentation skills. So they come up one at a time and they say, hi, my name is Laura and my word was friend. And they hold up their picture. There is no Q&A. The only question that could be asked or allowed is like, oh, could you tell me what that is? Like, say, if I drew a flower and nobody knew what that was or that type of thing. But because I want the audience to also learn eye contact, listening skills with respect, because too often people are like this, you know, all the mm -hmm. kids. So 
that's twofold. They're learning presentation and they're learning uh, listening without judgment. And they clap for each child. And then at the end, we do a breathing technique to bring it all together and come, come together. And then iPride Fit is, there's many ways to go about this. It just depends on my setting and, and what I'm able to do. So if we, some schools, I have the kids bring in uh, canned goods and we use the canned goods as if they're dumbbells. And I've been a certified instructor or personal trainer for years. So I teach them the different things. I talk about their muscles. But the other thing, I really impressed that their heart is their biggest muscle mm-hmm. in many, many ways because we are all filled with love mm-hmm. and it all starts in the heart. So I talk to them about their heart and their feelings in addition to working on muscles and stretching. At the end of that session, the school or the organization then donates the canned goods to uh, an, a food pantry. So the kids mm-hmm. get to see full circle you know, about love and taking pride in their community as well. Wow, that I love that. And this is something you do in person? I do. In the schools? I do. So last night uh, was a Sunday evening, and I actually was with, I was asked to uh, speak with and do uh, 75 ninth graders. So that mm-hmm. was really, 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 really amazing and good. And a few days ago, I was in a school with fifth graders. And if it's during work time, I use my vacation time and respectful of my employment. It's just continued to grow. And uh, oh, during COVID, so this is another thing, when, when everything was getting locked down, a local college that I had done in-person work with, they reached out to me and they said, you know what, if there's anything you can do, our students really need some help. They need your messaging. So I, I don't know where this came from, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll create a YouTube channel. So, you know, I ordered a little tripod on Amazon, put my iPhone on it. And uh, so the iPride channel was created. And what I titled it was Peace In, no, iPride In Five. Peace In, Peace Out. Mm -hmm. So it's five minutes of meditation, mindfulness, stretching, and affirmations. And I sent it off and the administrators were like, thank you, thank you. The kids loved it. The kids were logging in and it was a five minute thing. They could do it at the start of their day, the end of their day. And it just was a brief little nugget of of goodness that they needed. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah, I'm trying to get my kids. They already see me when I meditate and they go try to go and tell me something. They already know like, oh, no, mommy's meditating. And I, and yeah. I found my, my kids at different times, like sitting somewhere. And I asked, Emma, what are you doing? I'm meditating. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah. So I think that prayer and meditation are the tools we, we need to give the kids, you know, to, yes. to deal with with. You know, we focus so much on everything else. And Correct. I don't know where I heard this, like, even in in university, we, we teach people what how to manage, but we don't teach self-management. And we Correct. are the main thing that needs to be managed as a human being. Yes. And most people don't self, self-manage themselves. And that's that's the main problem and struggle we have is that we try to manage others when we are failing at giving ourselves what we need to be really at an optimal, let's say, state. Sure. And that reminds me of when they tell you on the airlines, put your mask on first. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's why, you know, iPride has been resonating so much uh, with so many of the schools and the the kids are just like 
you know, can you come back tomorrow? And it's it's a two two part workshop, and uh, it's really like I said, just been really well received. You know, when you mentioned prayer too, this thought came to me, and I mentioned it to the kids last night. So, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who was somebody I followed very early, I remember one of the things he said was, "If your voice is prayer to God, then God's voice back to you is intuition." Mm-hmm. And I love that. So I shared that that. with the ninth graders last night. I said, but our issue collectively is sometimes we need to shut up because God is trying to talk to us. The universe is trying to talk to us. We need to be still. And that's where the practice of meditation or mindfulness is a big help for them. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement with you. And uh, so, you know, one of the things that I want to highlight here is I think uh, for anybody out there listening to 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 what Laura is saying, she has a full time job. You're a mom to three. Like people say, I don't have time for this. This yeah. is one of the things when I talk to people, and you know, I've joked around because I think the question I've been asked the most in my life is, how do you get time to do all the th- things you do? It's like I never doubt that I can do them. I just go and do them. Right. And and I think a lot of people they just you know, for whatever reason, they hold on to this idea that they don't have time and that this is nice, but I have a job and they think when they're older, they're going to give back. But you are the perfect example of someone that's giving back and making a difference big time in the life of those kids. And and you also have a job and you also are a full-time mom and, and mm-hmm. you know, and you have your life. Yeah. So anything you want to share there with, you know, that could inspire others that want to yeah. give back you know and what? always... I'm like you in the sense that I like, I make time, I make time for it. And, you know, when I taught fitness classes for a number of years, I would have, you know, specifically women come up to me and said, Oh, I wish I could come to class tomorrow, but I just don't have the time. Like make time because this is you time. This is about you. So I hear that. And and the other word, and, and, you know, this might rub some people the wrong way. The one word I don't like anymore. It's just like, to me is busy. I'm Mm -hmm. so busy. I'm so busy. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, what are you doing? Well, I'm just so busy. So what I've done is I've turned that word around in my life and I say, I'm productive. Mm-hmm. I'm productive. Now, productive is busy. But if you said to me, what are you doing? You know, yeah, I'm going on a hike. Yes, I'm working on stuff for the accounting firm. I'm creating programs for iPride. I mean, those are productive things because the word busy, I think people get hung up on busy and busy becomes like, like an excuse. Absolutely. And no, let's flip that. I'm productive. What are you doing? Productive is positive. I, I totally agree with you. And I think, yes, that once you put your time in to use in a productive way, you realize how little of that time you need to really make a difference. Like yes. if you if you realize what you can do with the two hours you watch Netflix, which I do too, because right. I make time for that. Right. My husband right. and you I, at the end of the day, we never used to. We have only one TV in the entire house, right. believe it or not. I don't know how many people can say that these days. But, you know, we, now that we are parents and we have small kids, yeah, we make a time in a night to connect watching TV, which we never used to do before the kids. But besides that, I don't invest more time than needed into things that I cannot show for because I just don't feel productive. And so it's, it's a different way. <laughs> I, but I love how you turn like, don't say you're busy, say you're productive and then, you know, see where that takes you. Right. Totally. 
So very good. Well, I know I can I can talk with you forever, but you said something <laughs> offline and I have to ask you and I hope you don't mind because I think it will make also a good, you know, end of interview nugget of wisdom. You share with us, you were Catholic, you had that traumatic experience. We talk about meditation and prayer. And then when we were talking at the beginning of, of the interview offline, you shared with me that you had visited Lake Como because we were talking about Italy. And you said you, you baptized yourself in Lake Como. I did. Will you allow me to ask you that, to share that experience? Absolutely. Because Feel coming free. from a person yes. with that background, I think that yes. reflection would be introspectful. Well, yes. So I will say I I have great faith in God. My relationship is with God because personally for me, I feel there's a difference between religion and a relationship. I have a strong relationship and connection with with God. I am not anti-Catholic. You know, uh, I have great respect for the people who practice Catholicism, etc. That being said, I felt called to baptize myself. And I did write a piece for Biz Catalyst, and it's called In the Name of Myself. Mm -hmm. And my sister, who lives on the West Coast, uh, she had a friend in Lake Como, Italy. So we uh, made a decision to travel there two years ago. And the idea that that's when the idea came to me. And I was like, I'm, I want to baptize myself in the waters of Lake Como. So uh, her friend that lived there had gathered, uh, you know, some ferns, some local ferns, and we kind of made this crown. And I, you know, walked into the water and there was another woman, my cousin, who was present. And they had their hands on my shoulders and they prayed over me in a just a prayer to God to to continue to bless me as a strong woman, as a strong woman of faith, as a mother and then they each took water from Lake Como and just kind of brushed it over my shoulders. And it was, it was, it was divine. It was divine. It was my connection to the divine feminine and all that is God in this world. And I, um, yeah, I mean, wow. I have this really cool picture from there too in the water and what an experience. So thank you for asking about that. Wow, no, and I will definitely show the art, uh, share the article in the notes. And the reason why I ask is because, and, and I've said this before, so for those of you that listen to me <laughs> weekly, sorry for the repetition, but I'm, I was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school all my life. But um, I also, you know, read a lot of Buddhism. I, I went to mm -hmm. a Jewish university. So I'm very spiritual. Right. I'm accepting. I have my own relationship Correct. with God, as you just said. There's things about Catholicism and any other uh, religions, to be honest, because, you know, unfortunately, you have abuse in almost all of the religions. Correct. You know, there's things that, unfortunately, the institutions are not representing well the spiritual part. And so, but that's one of the things, because when I, when people try to label me, you're Catholic, I say, well, I don't, I, I am, but there, I feel more broader and open yes. to that. And so what I like about your story is that, and that's why I asked you to share, is to send a message out there. It's you 
have to make the relationship that works for you to realize yes. your own potential. And I love the fact that you took and you baptized yourself and you did, you, you know, you had a ceremony that was meaningful to you Correct. that now you build on your, your, your path. And it's not like, oh, because this is the way it is and I cannot do anything about it. So you took things into your own hands and right. made it something that really gave you the strength to keep going in the way that better serves you. Right. And as you had said, you know, when people say, are you a Catholic? And you're like, well, I am a Catholic. So even last night with the ninth graders who happen to be Catholics, I said to them, what I write in my journal every day, I am a child of God. Mm -hmm. That's my relationship. I am a child of God. And I love it. And and once you put it that way, I, I mean, we can, I think most of humanity can relate to that because being, call it God, call it the universe, call it greater force, whatever that right. name that you right. want to give to that greater force, right. then we are all connected. We are all you know? connected, no doubt. And yeah, it's when we try to label the connection and to force others to believe what we believe and to, you know, that I think is where the problems arise. Yeah. And and when you are not, when you're judgmental rather than accepting, which is at the end of the day, the most basic concept is try just to accept. Yes. Surrender. Right. Surrender. Well, I love that, Laura. And I want to give you the last minutes, you know, anything else exciting that you want to share that I might not have asked? Anything well, you want to highlight? <laughs> you have an thing. open microphone. Yes. Your book. We're going to speak well, about the book. The book, uh, yes. <laughs> this this year has been a joy and a journey. Um, I donated one of my kidneys uh, seven months ago. Uh, My story is in the book, Mayhem to Miracles, which is a bestseller on Amazon right now. I am one of 30 authors who just share these uh, wonderful, wonderful, uplifting stories. So I just appreciate this time to be with you. Um, The woman I donated the kidney to, she's fine. She's healthy. She's living a good life. And I'm fine and healthy. And you know what? I'm God is good. And I am grateful. That is amazing. And I am grateful. That is amazing. That's extremely courageous to donate. Did you know this person before you donated? Our sons went to school together, but I didn't know her very well. I just knew that she was ill. And uh, I was the only one tested. And I was her 100% match. Wow. So that that was, to me, that's God. That's God connecting us. And yeah. That's God, but as you said, that's God speaking to you and your intuition, knowing where to take you. Correct. That's, uh, you know, something that, you know, because, yeah, sometimes the ingredients are there. And if we don't care to see where they are and to help another human being, so uh, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful. I know one of my best friends donated her kidney to her brother. But even then, I know she had issues with her husband because she has a mother of two small children, oh, you know. Yeah. And you, you know, you wonder, uh, am I going to be okay? Am I yeah. putting myself at risk, even if it's your brother? So I know that you, you know, it took a lot of courage, as, as I'm sure with you. But uh, what a reward to see the oh. other person alive and healthy. And they came into my room and said, we want you to, oh, I was groggy. I was groggy Mm, when they came into my room and said, the kidney's in her and it's working. I'm like, I cannot imagine. That is amazing. That is amazing. That's joy. That is joy. Absolutely. That's full service too. It's really full service when you put yourself at risk to serve someone else. Yeah. I mean, I, I saved a life. Yeah, absolutely. You literally self. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. 
So, so that's what I will end with. That's what I will end with. And I appreciate well, <laughs> the questions. Yes. I normally ask to people like share with us what makes you tick, you know, in oh. a type, a time of down, you know, when you're sad, you save lives. That's what, what makes you tick. <laughs> no one is going to be able to top that one, Laura. Oh. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to do when no, you, to make you, you know tick? What? I place? Just, I'm grateful for you. I am grateful our paths have crossed. I look forward to continued connections with you. And your light shines for all. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. No, your light shines for all. You you, you really are a living example that one can make. You know, all the lows in life really become the highs in life. So I'm very grateful that that you're here. And uh, please check out Laura's book and writings in Biscatalyst. And I pride I will have all that uh, useful info in the show notes. And I thank you all for being here. And until the next episode of Back to Basics. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you and until the next time.